systems that some of these like harsh cancer drugs so they cause like that yeah and it brings a lot of relief without side effects that's the biggest thing right? because most pharmaceuticals have horrible side have effects. horrible side effects you know and and uh that's a big situation for many many millions of people really so that's um some of the propositions and stuff that you know kind of able to go back and forth on kind of bringing the positive um here are the things that and you can say these things are more the things that are uh more necessary for you to get out and vote for because these are things that can really affect uh, our community in a negative way um uh, now your neighborhood police officer hugely influential to the neighborhood someone that knows the neighborhood can um create uh solutions to things on the ground level um neighborhood police officers that care about the community and the atmosphere of what's going on with the police are uh, more important than ever right now but if you look at prop g um there's really it's a, this is the kind of police reform that you don't want um basically this is saying um yeah, they, uh, and this uh, goes on Prop R, too. It's basically the two of them are saying, um, we're not going to listen to, we're going to kind of file, like, uh, do a filing system for um, complaints to the community. We're going to, um, we're, uh, we're not going to, like, it's, it's basically the starting of uh, taking things away at the community level. Um, so what... Prop, uh, Prop G starts with the uh, kind of communication level, um, getting your complaints to the officers. Um, uh, it's taking away the budget for uh, things like that. Um, this would lead into things like, um, like uh, crime stoppers, um, things, community outreach programs like that, that uh, encourage the community to get involved with the police department. Um, that's taking away money from them, which is super important. And then Prop R goes into micromanaging uh, the police department, taking away your neighborhood cops, like I said. First one takes away the ears and the uh, voice of them, and then the second prop, Prop R, uh, takes away the actual officers themselves. And so you get your neighborhood cops are replaced by a citywide uh, special community, like a community force. Um, it seems kind of ridiculous. Yeah. But, um, uh -huh. And it's this one, it's kind of like that, uh, that instead of having a friendly face of someone you recognize, it's that officer in a riot, like faceless officer in a riot mask kind of mentality of like, right. um, like broad, it's broad strokes fixing problems like that. And, you know, community like streets are, you know, narrow brush strokes. So like if you're trying to fix problems, each one's a little dot. Every instance, it's a little dot. Um, you can't sit there and take a brush and whitewash the entire problem away you have to um you got to go out and get people in the streets that care about where they are and you got to you got to build relationships and that's the uh and that's the only way yeah the problems that we have with our law enforcement right now are going to get fixed that trust can be restored is uh building uh relationships with the with the officers out there um yeah and you shouldn't if you're someone who's done something wrong you shouldn't feel like you have to run from the police the rest of your life. You shouldn't, like, they're against you. If you can do something wrong, you serve your time, you get over it, and then, you know, you should be able to build a relationship with the officers there. It shouldn't be, 
you know, uh, a police militia force kind of idea of like this whole group takes care of the uh, big problem. Um, Community should be building bridges, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly the. Um, Instead of doing the us against them thing. Yeah. Which, you know, we know is happening. And I mean, it's kind of natural, right? Because they deal with some of the worst situations, right? Yeah. It's, it's and people kind of in the worst places and, and mindsets and all of that. Yeah. But there is a lot that could be done, you know, to kind of change that in terms of a, a, a more of a building bridges type of situation. You know, closer to what happens in some European countries, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I've seen videos of where uh, politicians and some police leadership, police uh, leaders go to Europe and, you know, they see how things are done there. And it's very different, very, very different. You know, here people are treated in a certain way. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's not... They're not, I think people aren't really treated like people, really, no. in no, the way that they're in Europe. And like dollar signs. Where, you know, in some of these countries that are used as, as examples in Europe, right, it's like they really want to put people back on the street in a better state than they were, yeah. than they came in, which is a good idea, right? Which is a good idea. Yeah. Right, instead of here, you know, it's pretty much exactly the extreme opposite. Yeah. Right, people, you know. Yeah, so here it's like you say, people get caught in the system, and it's true. Like, so you get caught up in it, and then, you know, you go to jail once, and your record's so shot that you can't do anything, it's impossible to get a job, and then, like, you want to do something better for yourself, and then. Like, uh, like, where do you go? Where do you, where do you, can you go to make the money to support yourself? Say you have a family to make, you have family, kids feed and stuff like that. They have to eat and you have to make money. But then look at what happens with, with white collar criminals, right? Yeah. Like the Slap CEO of Wells Fargo. 124, right? 23 million. Retired with, like that. with 120 something million yeah. dollars. And you know is not even going to see any type of no. any type of action towards him, right? Yeah. When people when he and the other people in management got the people that they had doing that in trouble. Yeah. Right? Of course passing the buck, pushing the blame literally pushing the blame onto them and, and some of those people, you know, uh, were in trouble because of that. Because they were fulfilling the quotas that those people in management mm -hmm. pushed on them. Mm -hmm. And then the other woman who was in charge of that retired with it's some other huge, it was like over $50 million yeah. as well. It's it's crazy what these people get to walk away with. Yeah, like you said, when the people on the ground level are just getting the uh, book thrown at them. And what was Elizabeth, jobs. Elizabeth Warren was saying, you know, if one of your tellers were to take even a, a $20 bill, right? Yeah. They would be in serious trouble. Yeah, I bet it would prosecute to fullest extent. To yeah. the fullest yeah. extent. And he does this thing, you know, basically where people, where, where their customers, millions of their customers were being robbed of fees that they didn't know of because they were, they were, uh, had accounts created that they didn't know about. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, he makes, he made millions of dollars because it made the stock go up. Yeah. And he even talked about it, you know, that this is why, this is why you should invest in our bank because, you know, we're doing this. We're pushing this. I forget what they call it. It's something that relates and to the account, yeah, like, like, the number of like, accounts uh, per person. Yeah, like, like, yeah. 
Um, they have to take quotas and stuff like that, and it's, it's, yeah, and it's white like white collar crime, and like a lot of it's like um, we're getting away with like loopholes and financial loopholes and tax loopholes and stuff, and we're doing things in the name of capitalism that um, might not necessarily be morally correct, but you know it's um, correct on the ledger. Um, so accountability. Yeah, and accountability. And this is, is something that um, big thing. Donald Trump in the first debate was that said. Uh, like um, asked about paying taxes and stuff. He said, "Yeah, I, I don't pay taxes. I'm smart," is what he said. And um, and when it came to the point of not paying employees, people that did him services, he said, <laughs> I, "I had a company to run, so I took advantage of the laws that were in place, uh, and I was able to pay not pay people what they owed, and it made profits for my company." And that's a mindset of someone. Like a politician, like an aspiring politician. He is. He is a piece of work. Yeah, but he it's it's a mindset that's not the gold standard. Yeah, it's a mindset that's not ex- for a new or exclusive <laughs> to him. Like it's something that is in like politics and stuff you have to look out for. Um, which like something that goes off here, like Prop P and U, um, realtors profiting off of a. The messed up affordable housing situation, um, like basically uh, people skimming the tops of uh, getting rich off of uh, putting out. Um, it's when and this kind of goes back into my problem with uh, gutting the coffers of the uh, quarter billion dollars of the earthquake funds to put into uh, housing, um, fixing housing, creating housing, and uh, getting uh, things up to code is um, this money goes to private companies and stuff too, and these are heavily one-sided handshake deals that are um, even in the best situation, like creating housing for like uh, underprivileged, underprivileged people. Like a lot of this, the people that go in to make this stuff, you know, they're um, doing it uh, at a higher rate than the materials they're providing. You, that's where you get, um, what I like to call like the Walmart style housing that's not built to be there. Like look at the stuff that was made in the peninsula in the fifties. Uh, the uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, like every man house style ranch houses. Those will, those will be here in another 50 to hundred years. But the stuff that a lot of stuff that's going up now, we're seeing um, mid, um, mid build, they're going up in flames. Like the apartment complex over in the mission, um, probably what was that early spring. Um, uh, it's, you know, it's we're not these things aren't using masonry. They're uh, using like um, you know cheap materials, things to put them up. Um, these are and these are the apartments that are, you know, the ones that are going for. That's the new million dollar minimum for housing in San Francisco if you want to buy. Um, that's that level. So like, imagine what we're getting for the people on the streets when it comes to like. Um, yeah, if we got the earthquake fund for a quarter of a million dollars, the uh, actual value of the property that's going to get built isn't going to be anywhere to touch that um and prop pnu um kind of helps prevent that from happening with the property that we do have now that's being converted that's being um made sure it's uh the affordable housing level um because that's the thing too uh a big uh, it's not on here i can't remember the prop number but uh um, another one that's coming up this year is uh, a f- housing for teachers teach live where you teach is their uh, platform um, and they're they're shooting for affordable housing for uh, teachers, 
to either be created or to be allocated the uh, housing that's available um, so that teachers and this is kind of creating that like bridge in the community that you see with uh, by not putting through things like Prop R or taking away the neighborhood police uh, the teachers should be the same way um, I know uh, our station director here, um, Pam, um, used to be big into teaching, and um, she still does a lot of stuff with uh, teaching like school communities around here um, to help, like uh, keeping her hand in the community with uh, helping children and stuff. And um, and that's what you have to do if you want to create positive change is like have your foot in the community. So the teachers that are teaching these schools here should be living here at the same time. It shouldn't be forced out because they can't afford on their $45,000, a year teaching budgets. Um, they can't, I mean, they're not gonna be able to afford a million dollar, $800,000 house to uh, move into the city and start a family with. So. I saw that, that the city was gonna create yeah. affordable housing for teachers that's yeah that's cool and it's like you that's said awesome. creating bridges like uh, you nailed it on the head uh nail on the head with that um the only way we're going to keep people out of jail is to start at the ground level put money into schools like uh if we look back um um there's the uh, school board, almost a billion dollars going in there. There's the one um, percent tax on one percent, you know, um, quarter of a million dollars going in there. There's a uh, Prop M luxury tax, uh, property tax. That's uh, about five million. That uh, um, uh, that's taxing things over. There's uh, property value over five million dollars, which is a huge portion of San Francisco. Um, that's forty million dollars of the city college. So. Um, Slowly, if we work and do the right thing, you know, we're, we're there's a potential in this election to really set up a really good um, foundation to build off of, like getting money to schools, make sure the money and the work that we've done is still there. Doesn't you know, we don't take away from the money. Like uh, we keep it going forward. Um, yeah, it's 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 one thing. I was lucky enough to have a really good experience with a. Um, a uh, a higher level uh, education in the uh, public school system um, but it's something that you know um, I had to make sure I got to a certain school uh, it's a lot of things I had to do to get in that and um, uh, my school system was lucky enough to be able to awarded certain grants to uh, be able to have these kind of systems and seeing like the payoff of that like um, yeah be able to have the things that like make a kid want to keep learning if you can give that, I mean, then that, that goes a really, really long way when you um, just have the tools there because kids are like sponges. You know, give them a good teacher and give them the tools so they can keep growing and building on things. And then, you know, they're, uh, they'll take it and they'll run with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's my, that's my Get Money to the Kids platform. Um, the, uh, but yeah, you can't, uh, you got to be really careful when you let people, like, start playing around with money to, um, uh, and that's what happens with the realtors in San Francisco. If they see a dollar, they'll run with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, what do you think about Prop Q? Um, kind of giving uh, the police the power to kick off homeless people from uh, their encampments and stuff. Well, I think that um, I think that the city has enough of a budget to create more workable yeah. housing. Like, 
for uh would you say they brought people. in with a property tax i read i think it was maybe a year or two now uh, ago now that um the city collects over a billion dollars a year that's, just that's in property crazy. tax that's crazy just in property tax and uh and we have i think it's like seven hundred thousand under a million people here in the city right and uh and you know if there's if there is a uh a catastrophe like hurricane katrina right it's like immediately there are like pop-up you know housing communities mm-hmm. right with the trailers or, or even tents and all of that and i mean you know the situation it is a uh, a crisis it is a housing crisis you mm-hmm. know and there are people in the one percent right that people would say here in the city that just complain, complain, complain about it, right? You know, for obvious reasons. You know, it's an eyesore. It's not. It's not something nice to see, right? Seeing these, you know, yeah. shabby-looking, you know, little tent cities that just look not so great, right? But the city can actually do something proactive and creative about it instead of reactive, right? Like yeah. sending, you know, police and people to break them apart and kick people out, take their stuff. Right, so that they freeze and are sick, yeah. and you know, give what them do tickets, do with, yeah. criminalize it. And what do they do when um, they're staying somewhere too long and getting a trespassing? Like, what's the next step? It's throwing them in jail, right? So, and then financially, if we're just looking at a raw numbers thing, what does that do? Like, what's the financial versus uh, keeping someone incarcerated versus making um, low-income housing for them? Well. I know that, I remember seeing that, uh, I think it was a number like $70,000 a year to keep kids in juvenile hall in LA County, yeah. which is like ridiculous. I mean, that's unbelievable. A teacher would love to have that kind of money a year to support <laughs> yeah. their whole family. And that's okay to spend that money on a kid, right, to keep them in that situation. But, but there would be no thought of spending anywhere near that on financial aid for that kid no. for a year, right? No, no, no. No you thought can't, of that there's, um, at all. Impossible. Yeah. Can't happen. But it's okay to spend that much to keep them, right, in, in a place that makes them worse, really. Doesn't, that doesn't make any, anyone better, especially kids, right? That's, you know, when you're yeah, a kid. Yeah, there should be, you know. You're be, becoming who you become, right? So. That's money. Yeah, exactly. And it's like caught up in the thing. It's like caught up in the system. Like uh, some we were talking about before, um, you know, police and politicians go to Europe. They go to these countries, uh, especially like Finland, Sweden. That whole it seems to be that whole cluster right there. Very progressive, and that they want to get people out of the prison, keep them out of the prison, get them in the community. Um, it's make them better than than they were before they went. Exactly, um, which is the exact which opposite. is a good policy, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, just kind of makes sense. Yeah, just because someone sees a quick dollar and wants to sell some drugs or gets, you know, um, caught up in a situation and commits something. Even lots of people that commit violent crimes, it's a group mom mentality. It's, you have some people that are great people that, um, are running with the wrong people that are, you know, you feed off each other. And, um, I mean, if you want an example of how bad the mob uh, mentality can be, um, not on a violent, like someone committing a crime, but, uh, statistically your chances of getting help go down the larger the crowd is around you when you have an accident 
So if you have 20 people sitting around you when you're having a heart attack, you have a very slim chance of any one of those people calling an uh, ambulance. Because um, it's uh, someone else to do it, someone else to take care of the problem, someone else to do this. Um, and I mean, that's for something simple like that. Um, it's super easy. Imagine these someone you grew up with, like um, things happen, you get called on to do something that you shouldn't. It's, things ha like, there's, a, there's lots of things that feed into uh, people committing crimes and being that kind of thing. And, um, and when you just punish and punish and punish and you don't do anything to fix the problem, you're not going to get any, you, you put it, you get out what you put in, is the basic. Definitely. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a chef. Like, that's what you say. Like, when we make stock and stuff like that, the <laughs> basics. And a lot of restaurants, you know, they like to put in the trim, the, like the trash of it. But I've always had a mentality come out. It's like, well, you know, you're going you're gonna to get out the product that you put in. That's right. Yeah. That is right. Yeah. I and mean, then that kind of, like, wraps up the key uh, key issues in um, this year's local poli uh, politics. Um, I'm sure the... Uh, November election, November 8th, one day before my uh, birthday. So I'm sure uh. we can get in here for a uh, presidential <laughs> slash birthday show the uh, Saturday before that. And we can give you guys what we think about the national uh, climate. Definitely. And we can definitely. do that. So. We are definitely yeah. going to have a say on that. Well, you guys know. Because, yeah, locally some really big topics and things like i said this is the foundation keep the foundation and build on for the getting the right kind of uh, school systems going a lot of uh jail things going on um you know legalization of marijuana things uh to get people hold them accountable in a city hall level so a lot of good it's a huge uh, local year but um it's a just as big of a uh, national year so we'll um and international too things about our future like um emissions like we've hit the 400 uh was it 400 parts per million for carbon in the atmosphere or something like that um past the uh it's the point of no return according yeah. to to many many scientists yeah yeah so, so germany we'll said see. they're going no more um it's gonna be like all electric cars uh in production after 2030 um and that's the kind of big things we need to happen here or else there won't be a here. And so, and what does Trump say about climate change? He said it yeah, was a hoax, yeah, hoax created by China. Listen, and we're not, and everyone <laughs> that thinks uh, we're trying evil to evil purposes. Yeah, <laughs> everyone that thinks it's we're trying to save the planet too. That's the wrong mentality to be in. Like the planet's not going to stop being here. This planet's going to be fine. The planet's been covered in fire. It's coming covered in ice. Um, it gets blasted with nuclear radiation from the solar, like the space, every day. Um, so it's going to be fine. It's not save Earth. It's save ourselves. Save our our the life. Save uh, that's why Elon Musk, uh, modern superhero, is pushing for um, to get us onto Mars to colonize other planets. Why it's so important because we're killing this one, and um, for us to go on, we, we have to do that. Like we're not we're not saving the Earth. We save ourselves. Save save people. S O S. Yeah. <laughs> the only uh, the only species that's causing its own extinction. All right. Well, so that was our our take on uh, the pissed off voter guide. Yeah. And uh, we will definitely be back with more 
coverage on the uh, election and the political scene Definitely. coming up. We'll go big next time. In the next week. We'll take on the Trumpelos. The Trumpelos. I'm scared. I'm not scared of them. Trumpelos are going down. Yeah. <laughs> take your hatchets and Fago. <laughs> get out of here. We got bars on the windows. So. Oh, I'm not scared of you. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back. Stay dry.
that truly makes a difference. And that's the kind of diversity I want, difference that is going to make a difference. But you can also have difference that doesn't make a difference. Difference that allows this machine to keep functioning in the same old way. And as a matter of fact, sometimes even more efficiently and effectively. I mean, George Bush is so proud of the fact that his Secretary of State is a black woman. And I would tell some stories about that, but... If we embrace weak notions of diversity, it is a concept that provides, it, that promotes, it seems to me, a hidden individualization of problems and solutions that ought to be collective. It is a concept that can, unless we redefine it in its strongest version, that can leave structures of inequality and injustice intact. And what I think is really immensely important for our purposes this afternoon, diversity is a concept that provincializes our relationship to the world. Um, and we live during an era that is called globalization or something like that. Uh, Right? There's supposed to be this instantaneous global transmission of knowledge. The products we purchase for our daily use are produced and distributed by and large on the global market. We wear the sweat of global workers, especially young girls and women. We wear their sweat on our bodies. We consume a disproportionate amount of the world's energy. And therefore, we live as if the rest of the world were simply there for the purpose of serving and confirming what is represented as our way of life. And I said before that I was trying to avoid mention of, of George Bush, uh, uh, the, the, the man who throughout the world stands for the worst, most xenophobic, most bellicose, most racist, most exploitive elements of this country. And I, you know, I'm, I'm personally embarrassed by having to be represented on a global arena by a figure such as George Bush. But, but embarrassment is perhaps, you know, Embarrassment is perhaps too weak of a term, right? Yeah. You know, may, maybe I should talk about uh, uh, my absolute revulsion that wars are being conducted in our names and that torture is being justified in our name and that democracy has become a watchword for the most abominable violations of human rights. And, you know, as someone who's been around for a long time, uh, and you, you, you're going to be really surprised at how quickly you begin to get old. <laughs> so prepare yourself for it. I mean, you can't imagine it now. 
But then those of us who are old can't really imagine being old either, so I always put it that way, because we always think of ourselves, uh, you know, as, uh, and I mean, I think that's important. We should. Uh, so I, I was going to say, uh, never in my 62 years, uh, could I have imagined that the hegemony of ultra-right-wing conservatives would produce the kind of situation we find ourselves in today. Not only war and torture, but a political discourse that aspires to persuade us that democracy can become this watchword for terror, for torture, and for the wholesale denial of individual and collective rights. One might go so far as to say that the strategies of the Bush administration involve invoking the fight to save democracy as a justification for the rapid erosion of democratic rights. And so there is torture that is not recognized as torture. There are secret prisons that are not revealed. And when they are revealed, they're justified. There's extraordinary rendition that amounts to routine torture. There's this, this, this prospect of fencing off the Mexican border to prevent people from entering this country whose lives have been destroyed by the impact of global capitalism. And of course, of course, we need to tell uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger that the prison situation is horrendous. Uh, and California, California is at the very bottom of, uh, of the list. 2.2 million people are behind bars, which means that the United States incarcerates proportionately more people than any other country in the world. And the prison has also become the paradigm for new modes of democracy or capitalism. You know, it, it occurred to me that if you listen to Bush say democracy, just say, just replace that with capitalism. I mean, it makes a lot more sense. The strategies make a lot more sense, because it's not really about democracy. This is a, this is a depressing situation. It's, it's really depressing. But it doesn't have to be depressing. And it's only depressing if you assume that the way things are today is the way they will be tomorrow. Only if you assume that the way things are today is the way they will be tomorrow. And I'll go back to what my mother told me. This is not the way they are supposed to be, and they do not have to remain this way. And I see that, um, that Barbara has handed me the, the first questions. Uh, so, and I have... Uh, Four more pages of notes, <laughs> which are probably say, let me see if there's anything really important here. Oh, yeah, there, everything is really important. Uh, uh, just the summary. I, I'll, I'll, I'll read some of my uh, bullet points. Uh, feminism need not be only about women, nor about gender, 
We can think about feminism as a methodology that can better enable us to conceptualize and fight for progressive change. And that, that is because the kind of feminism that I'm talking about calls upon us to seek out connections, to make connections that are not, that ought to be obvious, but aren't because of the ways in which our perceptions of the world are so deeply ideologically influenced. Uh, so I wanted to ask, what is the relationship between the movement against sexual violence, which we managed, we usually think about as, as individualized, sexual violence against women even, so what is the connection between state violence, state sexual violence against women? Um, think about that. We assume that it's only the individual that can be the perpetrator of such violence and we excuse the state, even though we see what happens in Abu Ghraib, even though we see what happens in Guantanamo, even though we see how sexual coercion, which has been a part of the daily routines of women in prison for decades and decades. And I'm talking, you know, I always like to point out that we take the strip search and the cavity search for granted, it's something that women deserve just because they happen to be in, in a place that's called a prison, that they get to be sexually assaulted. And, 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 you know, I can point out that I experienced that myself when I was in jail. And it does not feel any different from sexual assault by an individual. So we need to make those connections. And we need to incorporate this into our, um, um, take back the night marches, for example, those connections between state violence and, and, and what we might call privatized individual violence. And then, and then I was going to, I'll just tell you what I was, I was going to talk about Mumia Abu-Jamal, so maybe someone can ask me a question. I was going to talk about a number of cases, taking the um, opportunity since I do have, somebody told me it was, uh, what did you say? It's my stage, so. <laughs> so I was gonna take the opportunity, since it's temporarily my stage, to talk about uh, s some of the work that I'm so passionately um, involved in and committed to. I, I was gonna mention uh, uh, the case of Mumia Abu-Jamal. I was gonna mention the case of Leonard Peltier. I, I was gonna mention the case of the Cuban Five in Florida. And then I was going to mention the campaign that we call Hands Off Asata, Asata Shakur, uh, who is living in exile in Cuba after having escaped from prison in the 70s. Um, not very many people escaped from prison. You know, Asata should be applauded. She, she got away. She got away. And she's written a wonderful autobiography, which if you haven't read, you should. It's called simply Asata. But she's celebrating her 60th birthday in, the, in July of next year. So I'm just going to ask you to look out. There'll be events um, all over the California, all over California, hopefully here in the Davis-Sacramento 
area um, because this is a struggle against Homeland Security. Homeland Security has put a million dollar bounty on her head, which basically invites anybody to go to Cuba, kidnap her, and bring her back uh, to the U.S. And we can bring her back, but, but first we have to free her. And so I want to close by uh, uh, saying that, um, that with a very, very simple message, a very simple plea. Please get involved. Please try to make a difference. Please try to turn this country around. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Weekly Review. Uh, check us out next week. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes. If you would like to hear uh, these speeches again, they're also available on YouTube. Uh, you can check out Stokely Carmichael 1966 Black Power speech at UC Berkeley. And you can also uh, check out Angela Davis. And the title of that is How Does Change Happen? And that's the title of the video. Thanks again for listening, everyone out there, and uh, I'll see you next time. Thank you. Round of applause for me real quick. Yeah, is that actually on? Bodie, go check the sound booth. Make sure that we are up and running at 10 Pizzas, 10 Minute Mike. Can you make sure this microphone is actually working? I checked just a second ago. Should be on S1. S1. Welcome in, guys. Have a seat. Have a seat, Bodie. Can you hear me nice and loud? All right. You know what, if you'd like to be a big help, go ahead and step up there and turn that little dial so I can hear myself yell. Where's the dial? You will see a dial up there. Oh, I see. Just climb up on there. You will see a dial. Hello, everybody. My name is Ethan. I am hosting today. Ooh, yeah, not that loud, but yeah. There's my voice. I like my voice. That's a good sound of voice. I'm the one hosting. I'm not Tim Pizza. Uh, Tim Pizza, I think, didn't feel like leaving Oakland today. That was his reasoning. <laughs> so um, if you guys would like to join in with me real quick, I'd like to do something. Uh, on the count of three, we'll just go ahead and yell, fuck Tim Pizza. One, two, three. Fuck Tim Pizza!
Well, there you go. When you listen back to your podcast there, Tim, you know I love you. All right. He's at Folsom getting peed on. Yeah, he is. Folsom getting peed on. That's going on, man. I saw a, uh, uh, as I was driving around, I just went to go, earlier today I was driving my bus and I was getting rid of my pee bottles and collecting like more bottles of filled pee. You know how that stuff goes when you live on a school bus. That's how it goes. So I'm doing that and I saw like a guy dressed up as like uh, Tail from Sonic and Tail. And he's like at the, he's like, he's, you know, he's real excited to have a tail because he keeps stepping to make it like wet and like shifting his hip to make it just like wet. He's excited because he waited all year to dress up like that and then, like Bodhi said, get peed on. So that's what's gonna happen to that guy. I hope Sonic pees on him, right? And not, what's the bad guy from Sonic? I forget his name. Uh, Eggman. Eggman! Oh, that'd be even better. If it, he, he probably wants Eggman to pee on him though. I don't know. You guys, a uh, round of applause. Anybody been peed on in here? Oh, wow. Yeah. There we go. I like how you're a bandwagon guy. He's just like, you had to wait. You know, we the weird guy just clapping. He went, we know, we know who'd be the astronaut out of the bunch of you guys. Okay. It'd be him. He's willing to jump into space. Territory man has never gone to. You had to just jump on. You're Neil Armstrong, I guess. Does that make sense? Lance Armstrong? I don't know. Oh, man. I, uh, I, like, I don't know. Like, I thought I put on a clean shirt and I left, but apparently it's just, like, right there. So it's, 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 it's how it is. I live on a bus now. It's not really. I had a, um, um, I don't know. Like, I've been, uh, I didn't leave my bus, actually, yesterday. I spent, a, I had a really productive day. So I compared all these, like, really great parties I was invited to yesterday to, uh, surfing online about alien conspiracies, and guess what one won, guys? Alien conspiracies, because they're so much more fun than talking to human beings sometimes, right? Visitors from other planets. I've also been, I've been obsessing with that and uh, pyramids. Pyramids underwater. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know about this. Yes. Off the coast of Portugal, there are pyramids, 6,000 feet under. Oh I'm, all, oh, I'm the only one that just learned about this one. Jesus Christ. All right, round of applause for me. Wanting expanding my mind. You know how I know history's bullshit? Is because mummies test positive for cocaine. And you know why it's a big deal is because cocaine doesn't grow in Egypt, never has, never will. So it means one of two things. It means that their trade routes established well before a written text, which is about 6,000 years ago, were two. The pharaohs had the world's best coke dealers. <laughs> Just guys hopping in a canoe. I got you, pharaoh. I'm going to take care of you, baby. I'm not sure. I don't know. The Egyptians have, you want to click it down a little bit. You got a little feedback. That's cool. I like Hendrix. I enjoy feedback. Oh, man. You guys ever see somebody so pretty that uh, they make you feel bad about what you had for lunch? He's like, oh, man, I should not have had candy bars today. That chick is gorgeous. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to eat kale, and then I'll get a girl like that. I'm sure she's full of substance. She looks that good. <laughs> I don't know. Oh man, I uh, I've heard I've heard that saying a couple times in my life. Like, oh, my five-year-old self would kick my ass. My five-year-old self would totally, 
you know, beat my grown-up self. Sass, people say that. Some, like, you know, their younger child would be ashamed of them. Um, I think it's the opposite for me. Like, I wish I could go back and beat up my younger self. <laughs> like, if I could go back in a time machine and get five-year-old Ethan, that would be amazing. But I'd sell it for 17-year-old Ethan because he was fucking a bunch of big girls. Okay, so it's just <laughs> like, all right, Ethan, you need to calm down. Don't get gentle warts or anything. I don't know. Oh, man. Let's do a story. We'll do... No! No. Maybe a story. Hmm. Say a topic, guys. Throw a topic out. I'm sure I got something about it. Driving. Getting peed on. Shirts. Laundries. Shirts, laundry, driving, and getting peed on. Hey, just so happens I have a story about all of them, actually. No. No, no, no. Um, Shirts, driving... Getting peed on. I got a free shirt one time from Henry Rollins. You guys know Henry Rollins is lead singer of uh, Black Flat, well, fourth lead singer. Rollins. Rollins. Whatever. Go f- hey, you're the old man in the back. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. It's okay if we're here doing this. For you doing it here, you're, you're Bodie, you're 41. Yeah. No, you're 39. Still, staring on a barrel of middle age, you know. It's one of those things. No, I got a T-shirt from Henry Rollins one time, uh, and it was because I was trying to pro- – I was drunk, and I was trying to provoke a fight, fight from him out of his uh, – I was trying to get hit by him. I had this weird stage. Um, I dated this punk rock girl for a number of years, and she thought it was hot for me to try to pick fights with, like, rock stars. So I tried to pick a fight with Glenn Danzig of the Misfits and got thrown out of a Misfits concert. And I was, like, in the front row, go, you faggot, like, this yelling, like, horrific <laughs> shit at Danzig. And he's just like, oh, like, I don't think I can get thrown out. But, like, scary, but I just got thrown out. So I'm like a lunatic, and like Rollins is parked, uh, it's an old town of Portland, and I'm like, beat us, like, Rollins, you come out now, we'll fight you. I don't like, like that's gonna work. And um, his security guard just like came out, and he's like, Mr. Rollins, want me to give you this, and gave me a t-shirt, he says, now get lost before we call the police. And I'm like, oh no, man, I'm gonna fight him. And then Ro- like Rollins security guard's like, a lot bigger than me, he's like, we really go down this path? I'm like, thanks for the shirt, man, I'm out. <laughs> so I just like left, put the shirt, and gone. Never had good, dude, I don't know. Like, I never got the celebrity thing. Like, people get obsessed over that. I worked at a hotel for years, and, I, yeah, like, eight years of working in hotels, all different types. So I met a lot of different celebrities. Like, um, do you guys remember, um, what if God was one of us? Her name is Joan Os- Osborne. Really cool lady. She was touring around with her and her road manager in a van, and they gave me a bunch of wine as a tip. That's really cool, right? Scott is one of us. I, that same week, I also met Jewel. You know, where you say my soul. That Jewel, right? I think I, that's the only song I know of by her. And um, for her, is a little bit more awkward because I got to go shopping for her prior to her checking in because she's a big fucking rock star. She had to dehumidify her, a bunch of other garbage. Like $1,000 worth of shit to stay in a room one night. And she just leaves this shit behind. So you can see how like fucking rich people go, like bankrupt, it's just like buying dehumidifiers. It's not big cars and taxes, it's dehumidifiers that take down the rock stars. So 
I mean, she checks in his hotel and like the front desk making a big deal about it. I'm like some fucking bellman. I just steal booze from fucking mini bars and drive cars with booze in my system. That's like all I would do as a bad employee by this at several hotels. Got an employee of the month quite a few different times. I'm white, I guess. I get away with it. I don't know. But um, they go, hey, can you take this cake up to um, Miss Jewel's room? She's going to Miss Jewel. I don't fucking know why. Uh, because uh, it's Jules, like, manager's child's birthday. So I, like, took it up there. I'm like, happy birthday. It's like a little five-year-old girl. And I was like, going to leave. And Jules goes, like, stands in front of the door. She goes, you're not going to leave before you sing happy birthday with us, are you? And I'm like, okay. So I stood in this room and sang happy birthday to Jules' manager, uh, Jules' manager's child with Jules and Jules' manager. That was all of us. So I'm just like, happy birthday. And Jules like, happy birthday. Like fucking falsettoing, whatever, just hitting those notes, man. Say it was the most awkward thing. She didn't tip me, but I got a dehumidifier out of the deal because I stole it. But my favorite, there's a toss-up. There's two people, three people. It all happened like in one sequence in a very, very shitty town. If you guys ever get a chance to go to, it's a place called Vancouver, Washington. Not BC, so you have Portland, Oregon, and then the Columbia River, very gorgeous river, and on the other side of that, just north of there, is a garbage town <laughs> with methamphetamine and where Sam Elliott, the actor, came from. That's it, that's all they have, and that's Vancouver, Washington. And so I was working there as a bellman, valet, doorman, everything. And there's one of two things, is I met the Beach Boys, which is really cool, minus Brian Wilson, but add John Stamos. Whoa. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful man. Fucking, what's her name? Some server just disappeared up into his room and then like came back and like, oh, what did you do up there for two and a half hours during your shift? And then like two weeks later, she's like, I'm gonna go hang out with John in Miami. Oh, you did stuff with your mouth up there. That's what you did, John Stamos. But my favorite all time person I've ever met, uh, was, I just have that face, is uh, Kurt Cameron from Growing Pains. I was, uh, this hotel at huge like convention center space, like 35, 40,000. So we'd have like 1,000 person event, events on, on weekends. And so I show up and I'm like, hey, deliver boxes to this room. So I deliver a whole bunch of boxes to this room. And this guy's just like some ass in the corner of the suite. And at one point, I'm like, he kind of looks like Kurt Cameron. So I go, hey, before I leave, after I see he doesn't give me money, because this is what people do when they don't tip a bellman. They just have their hands like that to make it very clear that you're not going to do that. That's somebody that's expert at not tipping somebody, by the way. That's expert people. Because most people just hold their hands and then, like, all just grab hands that are closed, assume that there's money there. Because uh, that's what a bellman, I've done that plenty of times, and there's been nothing. And I've just, like, grabbed the hand, and there's no money, and then just shuck it awkwardly like that. I've done that a lot of times in my life. I have no shame anymore. No shame taking money for people. So, I, it was funny because I was working a job. That's where I developed not, not being homeless on a bus. Um, so I take him up there. I was like, hey, has anybody ever told you you look like Kurt Cameron from Growing Pains? And he goes, no, never got that. I'm like, oh, well, you look a lot like him. And I go, I go downstairs, and Nathan Kalano, Bell Captain 7, it's like big meeting. So like, we're going to have like Valley, like 500 cars. It's going to be stupid busy. He's like, whole team of guys. He's like, but, uh, yeah, there's this Christian adoption thing. They have Kurt Cameron uh, speaking. I'm like, Kurt Cameron from Growing Pains? He goes, yeah, what fucking other Kurt Cameron would it be? And I'm like, I may or may not have already met him. <laughs> 
And so I'm like, I just feel like an asshole. Don't think anything of it. But I come down. Uh, there's like a big downtime with those events to where there's no cars, everybody's parked. So I'm like wandering around the hotel trying to get free food, stealing stuff, you know, whatever I do. <laughs> and uh, I, st- I steal a lot from employers. Um, and these giant service elevators, it's like they're massive, like the white, as white as this room. And um, one of them comes down, and who comes out of it? Mr. Rockstar, too fucking big to come out of the other elevators, Mr. Kirk Cameron. And so he kind of crosses, I kind of ignore him, I step on, I turn out, look at him, and he takes like two steps away, and he turns around to me and goes, Kirk Cameron, nice to meet you. <laughs> what? You want to go, Kirk Cameron? I was like, Kirk Cameron! I hit the elevator as it closed. I almost fought Kirk Cameron, guys. That's the moral <laughs> of the story. Not a good story. I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> this, is a, this is a great mic for mics that... Just try stuff. It doesn't have to be in joke form, guys. I just rambled about people that I don't like, okay? Um, but I'm real excited about your first comic. I think it's you, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, guys, radio listeners at home, all four of you. Hello, Shelly Strebel. I'm assuming you're one of them. Uh, your first comic, guys, I want you, on the count of three, I'm going to say the comic's name, and I want you guys to lose your shit, okay? I want you guys to go crazy, okay? One. We're gonna go on three, not like one, two. I'm gonna say three and then we're gonna clap, okay? You guys understand that? You got that? Okay. One. Two. Three! Yeah! Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Keegan Ferguson! I can keep going for 10 minutes. Do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, guys. I, uh, I, was, uh, I was at a music festival a while back, and I noticed music festivals are basically just like a bunch of cops standing around uh, watching white kids do a lot of drugs. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a dude tripping out on acid, and he's just like, oh, God, time is an arbitrary concept. Oh, Cops like, Stevenson, get over here. You check out this rascal. He's sure up a wall, isn't he? Let's leave him to his thoughts. <laughs> this black dude walks up like, man, I feel so good. This is the best day I freeze. <laughs> Glad we were here, Stevenson. That black man almost enjoyed his day. <laughs> oh, man. Do you guys know if you took the entire uh, like lifespan of the Earth and condensed it to a 24-hour period, human existence would only be 90 seconds? Yeah! Isn't that cool? Uh-huh. It's pretty long pretty 90 seconds and 24 hours? Wait. Well, you have a different perspective of long time, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool, though. No, no, no. Don't be sorry. It's cool, though, right? Because it's like, look at where we are. Like, look at everything that we've accomplished. I mean, we have permanently changed an entire planet's climate and effectively destroyed the ozone layer in 90 fucking seconds. It's like, dude, the, what did the dinosaurs do? The dinosaurs are famous for dying, basically. <laughs> the dinosaurs showed up, just kind of walked around, were like, and then just died. <laughs> 
Yeah, and we could take it further, too. I mean, dude, we've had two world wars, a holocaust, several genocides. We've dropped a nuclear bomb, right? And that was just in, like, the last half a second. <laughs> I, think, I think we deserve to get promoted, just, like, right on to the next planet. Like, you give us three or four seconds, and Mars is just fucking gone. <laughs> like, Mars is just not a thing that is there anymore. It goes, like, the Earth, the moon and then just like a larger space than normal, and then Uranus and Jupiter and all those guys. It's just. I mean, I guess if we were gonna like colonize another planet, we could throw some animals up there, right? To make it a little bit more interesting, like some lions and whales and whatever. Just like, hey look, there's an animal trying to live his life out naturally. <laughs> All right, I can't wait to put its bones on top of my fireplace. Yeah. I don't know why I give that guy like a Beatles band member accent. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it just what came out when I tried it out. I don't know. Yeah, dude, what we do to animals is so fucked up. Like all this farm factory or factory farming, whatever you call it, it's so fu- I mean, you've all seen the videos of them like, you know, with the cow on the forklift and it's like tipping over. <laughs> it's fucking terrible. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's terrible. But we do this so we can have like cheap, easy meat, right? And it's like, in my opinion, we should shut all this shit down. Shut it all down, let all the animals free, uh, except for pigs because I'm not going to stop eating bacon, and neither are you, honestly. <laughs> bacon is so fucking good. Um, and to be honest, I'm not going to stop, because if we're going to be living in this, like, you know, wasteland of a planet and all this stuff, and we're going to hell in this handbasket, I'm just going to put bacon on fucking everything, because why not? And another thing about how powerful bacon can be... You know that expression that you can't have uh, hatred without jealousy? No. Yes, yes. It is an expression. Okay. You can't have hatred without jealousy, and you guys, terrorists, cannot eat bacon. Ha <laughs> 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 If you just saw this other country, and it's like, hey, you want a bacon? You want some bacon on your sandwich? That'll be one buck. It's like, dude, I would hate us, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and can you imagine if you like they asked you like Keegan, you would really take a couple slices of bacon over seventy virgins in heaven? You'd be like, well, first of all, none of those seventy virgins has any idea what they're doing. But that bacon on my turkey sandwich knows exactly what it's doing, and I am okay with that. Yeah, I, uh, I hate rap artists, guys. I really hate rap artists, and it's because they're always just at the club, but they never tell you what club they're at, right? It's like we're in a titty bouncing race, that ass in first place. I'm popping bottles while I make it rain in your face. It's like, dude, where the fuck are you? This place sounds incredible. <laughs> when I go to the club, I just wait in line. Or... I, I try to go out and dance, and I just get sandwiched between two sweaty dudes just trying to, like, grind out a load with some unwilling partner. Just like, ugh, ugh. I don't even know where to go in clubs. Everyone's kind of standing around or, like, just like a mass of people. I told my buddy, I was like, dude, I don't even know where to go. Like, what do I even do here? He's like, oh, dude, just go grab a drink. I'll meet you over there. I didn't see that guy for two fucking weeks, dude. I just don't understand how this, these places work. 
Really, the main reason why I go to nightclubs is so I can have a drunken uh, bacon-wrapped hot dog at the end of the night, and yeah. that's essentially my main motivation. <laughs> yeah, I like to I like to drink. I don't like clubs, but I do like to drink. Um, I like it for like the social aspect, right? Because people open up and you like learn shit about people. And uh, like my buddy was telling me about his new boyfriend, he's like a PhD, like the number two scholar in the world in his field. And I was like, dude, that's so crazy. I can't wait to remember none of this tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and I hate when people use alcohol as the crutch though, right? They like, use it as a crutch to get through a hard time. It's like, dude, it's so much more fun to use it as a wheelchair. Yeah. Just a complete support system through every aspect of your life <laughs> at all times. It's like, Keegan, I, uh, your grandma's dying, your mom's going through bankruptcy, and your girlfriend's going to leave you. It's like, oh, I can't hear you over how drunk I am. <laughs> so it's been a fantasy of mine lately, if you keep up on the news. I just want to take Donald Trump and just some random Mexican guy and give him six hits of Molly and just put him in a room together and see what happens. Can imagine Donald Trump like, listen, sir, you are a rapist, you're a murderer, and you're a, mm, oh my God, Fernando, rub my back. <laughs> oh my God, this is amazing. You know what? You get two water breaks during your 12-hour day now. I love you, Fernando. Oh, Mr. Trump, your hair feels so nice. That's the nicest thing Donald Trump has ever said to a Mexican guy. You now get two water breaks and rub my back. <laughs> um. Molly's great. I've always had it, or my family, I should say, has always had a really weird relationship with drugs, because uh, I love them. But my uncle also went to prison for 10 years for them, so <laughs> it's a little bit weird. And uh, when he was in jail, my, uh, my grandma came up with what we call the dinner party cover story, right, to explain his absence. So she started telling everyone that he was away at college, right? But people started to wise up to that and be like, oh, wow, 10 years in college? Is he going to be a doctor? And everyone's like, Grandma, no, don't do it, don't do it. And she's like, yep, he's going to be a doctor. He's in med school. Did everybody hear that Dennis is going to be a doctor? Keegan, did you? Eyes up. It's like, great game plan, Grandma. The man that rode a mountain of cocaine directly in a solitary confinement is going to be a doctor. I love that we now have to explain to people like why he's a contract construction worker. It's like, wasn't Dennis in med school? It's like, oh yeah, you know what? He just likes to be outside. You just spend so much time in that fluorescent lighting. Oh, just who needs it? I noticed that Dennis has, you know, Nazi insignia tattooed all over um, his everywhere. Um, what's, oh, oh yeah, that, that's, um, you know, he's a real art history buff, <laughs> Dennis is. It's his double major, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Grandma. She is proof positive that you can, uh, no matter what life throws at you, you can always navigate your way through it on nothing but lies. Yeah! Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think nine and a half. Uh, was there anything else? Oh, yeah. So, um... I'll do like one more thing and then I think I'm out of time. Oh, you do your time. Hopefully. You just do your time? You do your time. You got one minute, 45 seconds. All right, all right. Well, we'll do this. I, uh, I have a girlfriend now and um, she's really cute. She's really sweet, right? We've really adopted that whole pet name thing. Like you start out and it's like you call each other baby, right? And then baby turned into Bobby 
and then Bobby turned into Bumpy, and then Bumpy turned into Mumpy, and it's kind of fun and endearing, but then at the same time, it's like, how do you fuck someone called Mumpy? They <laughs> 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 go, like, oh, yeah, get it, Mumpy, jeeper, Mumpy. Yeah, turn around, I want to do it from, I want to do it from behind, Mumpy. <laughs> Just didn't fucking work. Which, <laughs> uh, yeah, she, uh, you know, fuck it, I'm going to end there, because that was a decent laugh, and I forgot the other bit about her. So, we'll end it. Cool, thanks, guys. Yeah. going guys that was awesome would your uh, did your uh, uncle go to jail for uh, I'm gonna fill your time by eating watermelon okay. uh, what, what did your brother uh, your your uh, uncle go to jail for well actually it was, it was drug trafficking uh, robbery and aggravated assault he was a drug dealer and then so he someone stole his shit and he went to their house and enforced it and beat the shit out of him yeah. that's a good uncle to have <laughs> he's great he's super cool now but I mean, if he's selling cocaine, I think it goes without saying that your uncle's cool, right? <laughs> It'd be more of a trip if you're like, no, he's like the biggest fucking asshole. Like, uh, he's, yeah, he's like totally, he's a jerk. Never says my drugs are good enough. Oh, bad uncle. Oh, man. I'm having fun, guys. That was really good. Um, keep coming out. Yeah, it's the 10-minute it, mic. It's uh, a lot of awkward stares, you know? It, it, the only most important thing about this mic is the tryout stuff, and more importantly than that, get used to awkward silence. <laughs> if you can make them feel weird, it's even better. See, he only make eye contact with me as I eat watermelon. <laughs> That's even weird for me. All right. Uh, I'm excited about your next comic. Um, she currently drives a car with my ratchet straps holding down the hood of it. Please welcome to stage, Miss Alyssa Westerland. You're only there to help me when I don't need your help. You're only there to help me carry shit after I got it all inside. <gasps> you need help? No, I needed help 20 minutes ago. You fucking... Ah! Okay, so I don't actually know anything about men. Woo! I, uh... I, thanks, Bodie. Just shut the fuck up, okay? <laughs> I'm here to tell men to shut the fuck up. I don't know anything about them, but I want them to shut the fuck up. Another thing I, I don't know anything about is women. I don't know anything about women, okay? Nothing. I want to tell them. Same thing. Bitches, shut the fuck up. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but I do know a little bit about me, you guys. I just know a little bit about me and how much I hate fucking men. I don't know about other women and whether or not they hate men. Okay, I know about me and how much I hate men. I know how I feel about men. I don't give a fuck about how these other bitches feel about you stupid little dicks. I don't care if they love you, if they suck you, if what, I don't give a fuck what they do. I don't care about other women. I care about this woman. 
okay? I'm sick of everybody thinking that I'm trying to speak for all women. You fuckers don't know me, but the fuckers who do know me, guess what? I'm not trying to speak for other women. I'm talking for my own cunt. I'm talking about this cunt, okay? I fucking hate you guys. You guys are so fucking rude to me, not to other women. You're rude to me. Like, I go on lunch dates now. You know why I go on lunch dates? Because a lunch date, the guy is not going to assume that you will go home with him. A lunch date, I have an afternoon plan, right? Like, I gotta go somewhere, I go to work later. Whatever it is, he knows he's not getting fucked. So there's no expectation on a lunch date. So I go on this lunch date with a man, a successful lunch date with a man. And if you have a successful lunch date with me, not other women, I don't know about them, If you have a successful lunch date with me, then the next thing you're gonna do is you're gonna call me for dinner, right? But what does this fucktard do? He booty calls me last night at 10 o'clock at night after a lunch date. Like, oh my God, what about a lunch date says call me for sex? Nothing about a lunch date says call me for sex. Damn it. I'm just so sick of you guys. I, 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 I kind of have a boyfriend now. I don't want to talk about it because I don't want you to. It's none of your business. Who is it? None of your, is he a comedian? It's none of your business. No. No. No, but you know what's crazy, you guys? Even if he wasn't a comedian, he will soon be one because every man that I hit it off with, as soon as he finds out I tell jokes, he's like, you know, I always wanted to do that. And then I say, get the fuck out of my house. Get the fuck out, oh, you always wanted to do that. Why is it that every dude, I, oh, you tell jokes? Oh my God, you know, I always wanted to tell jokes. You know, I told a joke one time. You know, I think I'd be really good at that. Suck my dick, get out of my house. You're not a comedian, you fucking write apps. Okay, you're not a fucking comedian, whatever the, get out of my house. I don't go around doing that to people. I meet a doctor, I go, you know, I always thought I should get into that. You know, I always thought I'd be really good at that. Why? I, I just, I must make it seem really cool or something. I got these notes. I just want to talk about me because like I said, I don't know anything about men and I don't know anything about women and I'm not talking for other women, I'm talking for one cunt. This is just going to be the one cunt set, okay? Do you guys have any questions for me? Do you have anything that you would like to know about me specifically? Not all of women. Who are you dating? <laughs> uh, uh, his name is Freddy. Mercury, he's a stuffed turkey, <laughs> and uh, I got a strap on, on this stuffed turkey, <laughs> and I'm just, <laughs> Freddy, baby, Freddy. I mean, I've always had a thing for gay men, and I love turkey. I don't like bacon. <laughs> I don't fucking care about your bacon, okay? Um, who is it? So I want to talk about the Pope, because that shit was cool. Everybody says he's so cool, everybody likes him. I don't care about other people, obviously. Again, I just care about this cunt. Okay, so this cunt, you know how she feels about the Pope. It's kind of crazy, because when I was a little girl, I wanted to be the Pope, right? I wanted to be the Pope, and I went to my mom, and I was like, Mom, I want to be the Pope when I grow up. And she said, well, um, honey, I mean, that's going to be rough, because you have a vagina. Um, I mean, we could get you a sex change, but I don't think they believe in that either. Um, so then I did some research because I was really excited about being the Pope and I knew I could prove my mom wrong. So I went online and I was like, Mom, Mom, look at this, look at this. It says here that even though I can't be ordained, I can still service the church. What does service mean, Mom? She goes, fuck, um, fellatio. 
I said, Mom, what does fellatio mean? And she said, intimacy. So that's, my, that's, that's how I got to be here, right? Fellatio equals intimacy. But um, I am a whore. I am a whore. Um, but not, not because of how many men I fuck, though I will tell you in a second. Um, but just because I'm a whore. Because um, not all women, but just this woman gets called a whore a lot. Like, bitch, whore, female. I'm really not opposed to female, but it kind of makes me feel like a whore. The booty calling gets made me, makes me feel like a whore. Um, I don't know, I'm, I just, I must be a whore. The way people treat me, I must be a whore. But I have this problem where I'm constantly going, are you a whore? Are you really just a whore? You know, so the other day I did some numbers, you know, and, and I couldn't remember, I could not remember for the life of me how many men I have, I've fucked. Because I don't get fucked, I fuck. Um, so I did some averages. And I realized, okay, so figure just five dudes a year for 14 years. That's 70 dudes, 70 dudes, not bad. I, I'll, I'll do more. I'm young. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> but, uh, but you know what's crazy, what's crazy about that was, how, so how many blowjobs do you think that I've given? Five. Two. <laughs> two. Two. Crazy, right? Like, I sucked the cocks of both of the men I was engaged to. It's beautiful, right? So, so just so you guys know, when, you, when you're out there in the world and you're lost, and you're scared, and you forget what intimacy is, <laughs> just remember, it's fellatio. <laughs> At least that's what intimacy means to me. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Um, okay, what else do I want to talk about? Pope. Me. So my, um, <laughs> me. Me. But it turns out shitting on the Pope is very unpopular. <laughs> <laughs> just very <laughs> good. I got him. <laughs> Finally, this guy. Okay. I like him. He's new. Uh, so uh, I got 900 reasons I'm not going to get married. You want to know what they are? <laughs> it's a long list, right? You think I can? You think I can go through that list in less than however much time I have left? I think I can do it because they're the 900 names of all the married men who've hit on me. Why would I get married, you guys? Why would I get married when I know that he's just gonna be out there hitting on some hoe like me, okay? Like, I don't even care if she's taller, shorter, bigger, younger. There's gonna be hoes, you guys. There will be hoes. So I'm not getting married. Um, I went soul searching and it led me to Amber Alert because I'm a ginger. We don't have souls, you guys. We don't have souls. Um, <clears throat> so this guy, this friend of mine, he's, well, he's a jerk. He's not my friend anymore because he's a jerk. We were at comedy day, and I was offering everyone my pistachios, and he said, can I have some of your pistachios? And I said, sure, you can have some of my pistachios. Well, then he took some pistachios, and then he's like, I want more, but I want you to throw them at me. And I was like, no, I'm not going to. I'm not gonna throw my pistachios at you. And so he took the pistachios that I had given him and he threw them on the ground. He threw my pistachios on the ground. I don't know if you guys understand, but those are worth like $18 a pound. Like none of my friends are worth $18 a pound, okay? But I asked him, I said, I said, buddy, why did you throw my pistachios on the ground, and he um, he did this crazy thing where he he said, "Well, Alyssa, it's because uh, I, I adore you, 
Um, I just think that you're amazing and I don't know how to handle it. I mean, really, it's just that your presence fucks with my emotions because you're the devil. That was his apology, guys. It's still my fault. It's still my fault. It's always women's fault, okay? He threw my pistachios on the ground because he adores me. So, like, I raped her because... Because I adore her, I throw her pistachios on the ground because I adore her, I hit her because I love her so, I just love you so much, I had to fucking smack you. I'm just sick of getting blamed for everything, you guys. If you're gonna throw my pistachios on the ground, just fucking own up to it. You did it because you're a jerk. You did not do it because I'm the devil. Anyway, thank you all very much. Yeah. Yo, here's a fun little thing for Alyssa. I was across the street grabbing my burrito at the beginning of your set, and Alyssa is a little, she's a little vocal. She, uh, she, she yells loud into something already amplified, like myself. Uh, but more funny is the lady who's across the, at the grill, when you're yelling about something, she goes, Dios mio, because she can hear your set. <laughs> That's an angry, angry redhead. She understood that. Your comedy's changing worlds. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, I know you're next, but he has to take off for a set at five, so that's cool. He's going to do a quick set. So everybody look, get, look at him, you know, begrudgingly or whatever. No, not really. It's Leo Zinger, ladies and gentlemen. He's a sweetheart. He's done, yeah. Thank you very much, everyone. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, I'm Leo, and um, I, I've been in the city for 10 years now. I really love it. Um, I'm getting old, though. Like, a lot of my friends are getting married, and, and they have children now. And uh, they sent me baby pictures. The other day, uh, I got a baby picture from my friend, and he got married like a year and a half ago, and he uh, recently had a baby with his wife. And uh, he sent me this picture. It was uh, on Facebook, and he sent me this and uh, it was a lovely picture of him and uh, his lovely wife uh, together holding a six-month-old baby boy together, you know? And there's a caption, he asked me like, hey, what do you, who do you think the baby looks like, mommy or daddy, right? And uh, I really wanted to tell him the truth, but I uh, didn't have the heart because the baby actually uh, looks exactly like his best friend, Tom. And uh, <laughs> I thought that ruined their relationships. Um, I love San Francisco. It's, I love California, too, because it's, uh, it's a very progressive state. You know, just recently I saw um, on the news that uh, we actually approved the legislature about uh, physician-assisted suicide. You know, we became like the second state in, in the country uh, behind uh, Oregon. You know, it's, so we fought for that. We gave the uh, term, like, people who can't hack it options, you know. And, uh, but I understand we do it a little bit differently than Oregon, actually. So what happens uh, is that, yeah, you have to go get like, uh, evaluated by two physicians independently, and, and they both say, yeah, you can go care yourself. Then, what, then you, you come to travel to California, and you go stand on top of Golden Gate Bridge where a doctor will come push you over the edge. <laughs> Gently. So um, <laughs> that's our way to do it. That's a very clean and beautiful way to go, I think. Um, I uh, I have this friend who uh, who likes guns and uh, 
And I don't stand out these people who like gun beer because every a guy I know who likes guns uh, all have the, the, they defend their gun rights vehemently. You know, they always talk about it. And this, this guy's like, like, you should get a gun. Like, guns don't kill people. It was like, yeah, if, if your guns don't kill people, then there's something wrong with your guns. Because uh, they should kill people. They should definitely kill people. I've tried it before. I've never heard a guy like, just like, I shot this guy fucking five times. He's not dying. What's going on? The guns don't kill people. Um, I, I never heard, like, it's weird though, because like no other industry would come out defend their product like that, like guns. Like, like after 9-11, you don't hear like Boeing coming out and say, hey, planes don't fucking kill people. You know, jets are fine. Just crazy terrorists kill people. And uh, after like Hiroshima, like a US government didn't come out and say, hey, uh, like nuclear bombs don't fucking kill people. <laughs> you guys are nuts. It's just fucking the two guys we told that you have to drop the bombs killed these people. Yeah. So um, I think a lot of people uh, are scared these days. Like people, people talk about aliens a lot. And uh, I, I personally, <laughs> like and people, because they always hope like aliens will come here and give us technologies and stuff. But uh, I don't, you know, but it, they could be coming here for anything. You know, I don't think that's, that's necessarily the, the, the reason. I think personally, I think they're coming here just to have sex with us. I think it's, uh, they just want to fuck us because we're primitive and we're better looking than them. Because they're fucking ugly. They have no hair and they have no nose and they're fucking, they can't talk even, you know. And uh, so they can't get laid. They're here, they're here to fuck us. So that's, we're like a tourist, a sex tourist destination for them. Like basically I think we're, we're like the Thailand of universe <laughs> for them, of the universe. For them, they come here just to have sex with us. I would fuck an alien, though. I would fuck an alien um, right in the mouth. Uh, they have <laughs> they have very tiny mouth and very tight. It looks like uh, I would enjoy it um, <laughs> because we're a fucked up uh, uh, like a country, though. Not only country, like fucking entire world is like little people. A lot of people are racist, and I was talking to this. People, I was talking to this friend who was racist. I said, dude, why, why are you like that? Why are you racist? So, you know, towards people. He's like, you know, everybody's racist. You know? It's like, what? Is this a defense for being racist? <laughs> everybody's racist? Like, like, what other, like, can you defend that for other crimes? You go, go to court, it's like, hey, uh, did you kill that person? Like, yeah, but a lot of people murder people. So what's a big deal? Like, oh yeah, uh, we hadn't thought about that. Yeah, a lot of people murder other people, so you're fine. We fucking let you go now. It's, it's okay. Keep doing that. Um, I have, um, I've, I've been watching, uh, yesterday I caught uh, the rerun of Titanic again, and uh, I hate that fucking movie. <laughs> not, not because James Cameron, he's like, he's, okay, first of all, he should have made the movie. He's like an actual explorer. He's obsessed with Titanic. He actually built like submergible to go down to actually film the Titanic after he made that movie. You know, I, I personally think he, he, he uh, got the sequence wrong. He should have studied the fucking Titanic before he made that movie. You know, that, that would have been the right way to do because you would have made a, 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 like a better movie for that. You know, what if like he he saw that movie? He was like, "Oh shit! There's no, 
There's no steerage. Everyone fucking is rich, you know. There's no underclass here, you know. But <laughs> I, th I think mostly I hate that because because it's a fucking song that Celine Dion sings in the end. You know, my heart will go on. It doesn't even make sense to me that song because this sings, uh, she sings it from the perspective of that lady, the old lady Rose, whatever, who's, who fucking, you know, got rescued, whatever, you know. And uh, I was like, yeah, I was listening to. That. I was like, yeah, my your your heart will go on and on and on. It's like, of course your heart will go on. You fucking survived that shit. You got to live, of course. Your body will go on too, you know? You fucking lived. Your fucking boyfriend died saving your ass. He should be singing that song. He should be singing. My heart will go on. Because he doesn't have a fucking body anymore. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Leo Zinger hating the Titanic. Uh, did you guys hear about that conspiracy theory about Titanic? How it never actually sank? Yeah, I'm just lying up my ass, actually. <laughs> just making up stuff. <laughs> you can just lie. Yeah, it's so much easier. You guys should all try it. Just lie up here about everything. My name's not even Ethan. Okay. I'm excited about your next comic. I feel bad about skipping him. But Leo got these big, fancy dates. But Boo him out, guys. Boo! <laughs> we love you, Leo. Boo! Thank you. Might I also point out it's that <laughs> that Alyssa left. So if you guys want to get your chauvinist guy cover. stuff out, no I'm joking. Oh, uh, all right. Well, moved up here from LA. He's a good guy. Welcome to stage, Mr. Chris Bill, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I I gotta. <laughs> you know, I've never been offended by a joke before and I never understood why people would ever get offended at jokes. They're just fucking jokes. But when he started talking shit about Titanic, I understood <laughs> it. I understood it completely because that is my fucking... That movie has literally saved my life before. There's a little story behind that. Because, like, at one point in my life, I didn't want to live it anymore. And when I did, I would, I would like, stand in my bathroom with, with pills in my hand and say I could take these, these pills right now and, and, you know, just die or not do that, pull out my phone, go on my Netflix queue, and fucking watch Titanic. The last 30 minutes, skip to the last 30 minutes because nothing makes you feel better than seeing a bunch of rich old white people die. <laughs> As that fucking song goes in your ear. Nothing is better than that. That is the ultimate antidepressant. I just spit because I'm passionate. This is, is, is as intense as I will ever get on stage, honestly. Right now I am honestly offended. Man, I I swear to God, I was about to walk out on that that guy. First he bumps me and he talks about shit about Titanic. Fuck this, I'm just kidding. No, I don't care. I liked it. Um, yeah. I mean, what else is there? Fuck. All downhill. There is a fair going on over there. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't like any fairs and stuff. Just because. One thing that really pisses me off in my head, I guess, is just people that have pride publicly in something, you know? I just don't like it. I don't, I don't like when people are, are proud of who they are. You should be proud of who you are, but I don't want you to show it to me. Like, when you're, when you're in an affairs, like, come on. Yeah, great, you have sex with chains, cool. Just, 
I don't need to know it. I, the whole world doesn't need to know it. It's fine. Yeah, I, I don't. I, this all stems from just a roommate that I have right now. He's. I live with. I live with three people. They're all gay. I'm only half gay, and. I I think usually when you live with. I think a lot of people assumed when they found out that I was going to go live with a bunch of gay people, they were like, oh, you're going to convert to completely gay then, probably. But no, it's going the opposite way. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I think I'm really straight now, because I'm, <sighs> one of them, he, he sings in the shower, and he does it really loud. And that's just, every day, that's just a fair that I have to deal with in my life, because I, did, I get it. You, you think you're a great singer, you're proud of who you are. Yeah, you're gay, but fuck, I don't want to know it. Be pr I don't know. I should have ended it in the beginning. Just don't tell me if you're proud of yourself. Just do it in yourself, in your, in your, because I'll be insecure about it. Um, let's see where else we could go. Let's go back to the movie stuff. That seemed to go over well. I like I like movies. It's a little too much, maybe. Um, sometimes I, re I refer to them as films and just sound like a complete snobby douchebag. Like I feel like I should be dressed as a penguin. They're like, mm -hmm, I like films. Oh, the great film. Like I watched. This happened a while ago, but Mission Impossible, the newest one, came out. I went to watch it with my sister and my mother. And we walked out of the theater, and they were talking like, oh, it was a great movie. The action was awesome. Tom Cruise, he does his own stunts. It's so cool. And I was agreeing with them, but in my head, I was like, yeah, but the mise-en-scene, the mise-en-scene in that movie is what gets me going. That's what I love about it. I, I'm just happy I had the decency not to say that out loud in that moment. I just go somewhere else and do that. But yeah, I, rem I used to work at a movie theater, and... On my last day, two things happened. The first thing that happened that day was this lady got, she just came up to me and started preaching about racism in movies. I'll get back to that later. But the second thing that happened at the end of the night, um, it was around the time that Trainwreck came out, that Amy Schumer movie. And lucky for me, I guess someone had a weird bachelorette party in there and my theater started selling beers so they drank a bunch of beers, and a lot of them were full in the theater that I was cleaning. I was like, oh, cool, I'll get drunk at work. So I, I took all the beers, and I got drunk on my last day of work. That was a fun, fun way to end it. I remember I left. I saw my manager there. I said, I, I think I should say goodbye. And I was like, wait, can he fire me if I'm ready on my last day? Because he'll smell it on my breath, probably, that I drank all the beer in train wreck. I don't know. <laughs> I was a train wreck. Boom, I did that joke. Um, <laughs> I was a train wreck. After train wreck ended, Amy Schumer. Um, no, the more interesting thing is a lady. She was a older black lady and she came up to me and she, she was, she just had to complain to somebody that she was tired of racism in movies. And I get it, you know, some movies, they're bad, but nowadays it's getting better, you know, at least there's, they, they got out of their way to put at least one, some sort of diversity in there, you know, sometimes, I guess. Back then, it was back in the day, back in the day that I don't know what I'm talking about because I wasn't there back in the day, but I know back in the day, it was pretty not diverse, like The Breakfast Club, that movie makes every teenager feel like they belong in this world except the non-white ones, you know? Because there's absolutely no diversity in that movie. There's no nothing. The most ethnic thing about that movie is Emilio Estevez's last name, which is a lie, you know? That's a lie. He's not, his mom, 
he's from fucking Kentucky, and his dad is, is half Irish and half Spaniard. With Spanish, you know, that's, that's okay, I guess, but that's like the whitest Spanish you can possibly be from Spain. Like, I'm pretty sure there are more taco trucks in Kentucky than in Spain right now, you know? That's not a, they gotta fix that thing. They gotta, they gotta be good. Can I, did you like me or, I don't know. I don't oh, no, man. Okay, just making sure. Cool. Oh, that's okay. I respect that. Leaving, because I can never do that. I can never just leave. <laughs> I've done it before, but I just feel, it's just, that's, it'll ruin my day. Like, I might, even if I have a good set, if I leave in the middle and somebody notices, I, I'll just be like, ah, oh, shit, I fucked up. More and more. I know I should get over. I should get over a lot of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing it for like two years. I'm not over yet. At least here in LA, I got over it. Just because, you know, they don't care. They don't souls. Exactly. So it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys don't care. I don't care either. Cool. I can just leave. Um, <laughs> what else have we got? Um, I think there's a lot of. We, we do progress a lot, but I think. One sign that we're not progressing as enough enough as a society is we're not. Twelve Years a Slave is a really serious movie. I think once that type of movie becomes a comedy and we can laugh at it, then we've made it as a society. <laughs> Honestly, it's a crazy theory, but I think that's how it's going to work. Once you can laugh at that and say, "Oh, fucking racism! We used to do that shit. That's ridiculous." Then we, but, but now there's a part of us that still has that in us and we watch it, we're like, oh God, that's so sad, that's so crying, because inside you know, I kinda wanna do that, I think. I don't know, but I think there's a little racism there that brings out the tears when we watch 12 Years of Slave. I cried during that movie. I'm not even white. I don't know what that says about me. I was raised by a very white man, though. Not white on the outside, but the inside, who shit. He, he belongs, he, I, he's my dad, he's a, he's a Salvadorian. And he jumped the border when he was like 13, I think, because of the Civil War going on over there. And when he got here, he got a job. He works for a car company. He's a mechanic. You know, he's a good guy, hardworking. But he's a Republican now, like really conservative Republican, wears cargo shirts, shorts, shirts, shorts, has an American flag on his yard. I, I remember I told him, in 20 years, I could picture you in a Hawaiian shirt with a golden retriever and a white picket fence around the house you have. And he was like, yeah, you're right. I'm like, you shouldn't be proud of that, Dad, with, the, with, with, with how you look. That's not good. Because he, I think, it's weird that he's Republican. I don't know, I don't get it. I think it's because he doesn't want his family to follow him over here. Like, he just wants to keep the borders up. So he's like, let, let me join this, this political party, then wants to keep the borders up, keep my family out. That's his plan. I should <laughs> ask him about that. He came over, he visited a couple of days ago, and he started talking to me about how he's, okay, first of all, I see him, and I'm like, that can't be him. And then he's like, hey, Chris. I'm like, oh shit, that's my dad, because he lost like 50 pounds on me. I'm like, fuck you, dude. I'm supposed to be doing that right now. And then he started talking to me about how he's getting with a bunch of chicks. He has like five girls, girlfriends on the side and shit. He's all texting them while he's talking to me. Like, he can't even have a conversation with me because he's texting these girls. And I'm like, dude, I'm the fucking teenager here right now. You're 40-something. You're, you're rocking it. You're making me feel bad about who I am right now. Come on, let me have some of that shit. Thanks, man. 
Got to fix uh, the good guy, rough guy. What else about my parents? My mom's remarried already. Shit, I forgot. Woo! I missed her wedding. Felt real badass. <laughs> she asked me, hey, Chris, will you come to my wedding? And I said, here we go. I'm going to make my mom cry today. <laughs> <laughs> and shit, did she cry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mind it. That was a proud moment of my life. I said, I got to do one thing. I got to be disappointing in some way to my parents, at least one of them. And I said, hey, I'm not going to your mar marriage, mother. She mar remarried a Salvadorian. <laughs> that didn't work out the first time. She did it again. I think she has a um, weird relationship with that state. Our whole family, my whole family, the women are P Peruvian and the, 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 the dudes are Salvadorian. It always happens. They always marry Salvadorians, I guess. I don't know. Let me see if I can do one quick one. I don't think I have any quick one. Uh, you can go over. Take, take your time, man. All right. You stole that spot from me. Okay. I think I have one thing. Um, my parents were great, though. They were really good. Good, good to me. They raised me right. Um, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how other people are raised. What does it mean to be raised right? But I like them a lot, but I also like, I don't know. I, I've been thinking, why do I like to think about dark stuff? Because I've been researching serial killers lately. I don't know why. Just <laughs> keep my job options open. I don't know, I guess. I mean, that will work some someday if everything goes terribly. I don't know. No, I won't do that. But I think the reason why I like to study that is my parents, they were good to me, but two, they never, they, they stayed alive the whole way. They didn't die once. <laughs> they, didn't gave me, they didn't give me that opportunity to become a superhero, because you had to be an orphan to be a really good superhero, like Batman, you know? <laughs> they never died in front of me in an alley, like loving parents should. They never gave me that opportunity, you know? And if you're an orphan, you didn't capitalize on your opportunity, bro. You got to fucking, you had the chance. Could have been Batman. You could have brought the Joker to this world, but you didn't. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it going for Chris. Come on. That was amazing. You know, that set right there about, you know, like begrudgingly not going to your mom's wedding. That's it reminds me of that Bill Burr quote. Bill Burr has a quote that says, your, your 20s are uh, the time in your life when you take your childhood out on everybody you come in contact with. <laughs> That's a great quote. <laughs> Fucking ahead of his time, Bill Burr, ahead of his time. All right, this next fuckhead to the stage uh, hails from New Jersey. Bodie Lang. Thanks, Ethan. That was such a wonderful, warm introduction. <laughs> that was very warm, wonderful. Um, yeah, what's, your, what's your name in? Chris. Give it up for Chris. Yeah. Give it up for Chris. Yeah. Good stuff there. Um, uh, Alyssa, is she gone? She's gone? Uh, yeah, that girl scares the fucking shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> like, not like, a, like I, I think she'd probably be happy to know that, I think, too. But, like, and not like, I, like, I'm almost afraid to laugh sometimes because I feel like she's going to be, what the fuck are you laughing at? I'm, fucking, you know, like, <laughs> I'm just like, ooh. But uh, yeah. And like, I feel like she's, she's tiny, but like, I feel like she could like 
like fucking ruin me, you know? Like I feel like I would not even want to physically confront Alyssa on any fronts at all. Confronts. But lo- love you. Love you, Alyssa. <laughs> I do. I really do. I love her. It's just like sometimes I do get frightened by women in general, I guess, maybe. But uh, yeah. Um, I, there were some things I wanted to touch upon. You, you were talking about how offended you were <laughs> about the, you know, the, dude, I was just as offended when you were making fun of Breakfast Club, motherfucker, all right? I was ready to walk out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. And there was, there, at one point in time, there was a brilliant filmmaker that used to totally pull off racist fucking movies and make it hilarious. His name was Mel Brooks. And he know a lot, like, when's the last time Mel Brooks made a fucking movie? Can we get, like, a, can we do, like, a kick, can we do, like, a Kickstarter for Mel fucking Brooks or some shit? Like, what, what was it? Yeah, right, that was probably his last one. That was after Spaceballs, right, Men in Tights? Yeah, it was, like, 93, 94. Yeah, man, fucking Mel Brooks. Can we get him working again, for Christ's sake? Damn. You know who needs more work, too? Dabney fucking Coleman. How come he's not working? Yeah. That guy was the shit. Yeah. You guys are too, do you guys know who fucking Dabby Coleman is? <laughs> he was, you remember fucking Cloak and Dagger? Yeah. With the, little, the kid from E.T.? Yeah. And he was Jack Black. His dad was Jack Black. That's where Jack Black stole his fucking identity. And that's why we don't see Dabney Coleman anymore. Thanks a lot, Jack Black. Piece of shit. <laughs> uh, I think it was things I was going to work on, too. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's, you've probably seen this kind of shit. There was, um... There was a homeless guy uh, on the corner of like, it was like 17th and Folsom, and he had, did you ever see where like, you know, homeless people have like their blanket out, and they'll have like all the stuff out, they'll have like, you know, like a phone cord, like a sock, you know, or, you know, like a tissue box, or like, then this stuff, and you think usually they're like selling it, a couple cassette tapes or whatever, and you don't, I don't like to see that stuff, I'm not trying to like make fun of that situation, but this guy had a bicycle seat out, and this girl walked up, and she picked up the bicycle seat, and the fucking guy ran over and like fucking kicked it out of her hand, picked up the bicycle seat, fucking spiked it on the ground. And, he, and she was like, I'm so, I, was, I wanted to buy the bicycle seat. Like I needed a bicycle seat. And the guy goes, I'm not selling you my shit. I'm just showing you my shit. <laughs> and I did what you guys did. I fucking laughed out loud. Like, because I just couldn't contain it. I couldn't, I, I couldn't. I was like, oh, you know? And he was like, oh, you think it's funny, motherfucker? You know? And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, walk, you know? Like, walk away, walk away. But, oh, man, that was funny. Was a, you could just, you could spend a day in the mission and get as much material as you could possibly ever need. I mean, I've always, I've often made fun of these, these guys. Like, that guy competes with the 16th Street Bart Station guy. I was talking about it. There's this guy, he's heard this joke before, but there's a guy that I first met, or one of the first, Awesome, awesomely hilarious homeless guys I, I met in the mission where he stands, he's, he's standing at the top of the escalator coming out of the bar station and he was just sitting there asking everybody that came up the escalator, he was just like, hey, you got a daughter? Hey, you got a daughter? You got a daughter? And it's like a bunch of people just ignoring the shit out of him. And then finally, the one guy in a business suit's like, yes, I have a daughter. He's like, when's prom night? <laughs> <laughs> I fucking loved it, dude. And like everybody else was like, and I again laughing, and everybody's looking at me like, don't encourage him, you know? And I'm like, ah! he didn't, oh, he's the best. He's the best. His name's Petey. I, I asked him his name one time. His name's Petey. He's cool as shit, man. He doesn't do drugs. He doesn't drink. Like like I've offered him beer before. I'm like, hey, man, want to finish this beer? He's like, nah, I don't drink. Don't drink. And he's just he just loves making fun of people. Like I saw him on Christmas one time, 
And he was, uh, you know, he was just like walking in the street. It was like Christmas. There was like nobody in the fucking mission. It was like Valencia Street's fucking empty. And uh, I gave him like five bucks or something, you know, and I'm hanging out because I'm a fucking humanitarian. And he, uh, we're just sitting there, and this dude walks by with like a bow tie and like a little Christmas vest and shit. He's like, you know, like off to a party or whatever. He's like carrying a little present with him and shit. And he's like, uh, looking sharp, young man. You're looking really sharp there, guy. Looking sharp. And the kid's like, oh, well, you know, and like walks by. And as soon as the guy's out of earshot, he looks at me. He's like, what a fucking geek. <laughs> yes, Petey, you're the best. Ah, uh, Petey. Uh, I saw an interesting interaction in Dolores Park. Uh, it was a couple of days ago, um, where there was uh, there was these two dogs. It was a female dog and a male do- uh, and a male dog. And the female dog was just like a little thing, and the you know the male dog was like a lab. And he was he kept on trying to like get the female dog to play with him, and she wasn't having it. And the whole park's like watching this transaction go down, where like the male dog would approach the female dog, and she'd just like run away and bark at him and shit. And he was like, yeah, what the fuck? And then finally, he was just like laying down, and the little like fucking Shih Tzu, you know, f- female dog like rolls up to him. And she's like, you know, like, come on, like, let's play. And the lab stood up and just fucking peed on the dog. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I thought it was great. <laughs> and then the guy whose dog got peed on was like, who's, you know, like, his dog was like this little shih tzu, like, well-groomed dog. And he's like, whose dog is this? Whose lab is this? And this girl walks over, and she's like, hey, man, it's, it's my dog, you know. And he's like, well, your dog just peed on my dog. And the girl's like, well, dude, they're, they're fucking dogs, you know? Like, what do you want me to do? And the guy was just all, like, needed to complain about it. He's just like, well, well, how would you like it if I peed on you? And the girl, without batting an eye, she's like, I would totally get off on it. <laughs> and, and people are heard it and laughed. That was great. None of the more wonderful public humor moments in San Francisco. Uh, let's see, what else? Did that shit. Oh, I was, um, some N- uh, NPR material for you here. Because I'm a fucking white guy and I listen to fucking NPR, and uh, I just I, there's some funny shit and I there's Pope stuff and I don't even really want to I can't even handle that shit anymore I'm done with that but um, there was another story that I heard about uh, a woman who was born with two vaginas. Okay. Yeah, born with two vaginas and she kept them and because doctors never wanted to remove the vagina because they thought it was like functioning and they didn't want, they were like, no, you know, if we remove this from your body, it actually might cause you more harm than good. So she kept her vagina all the way up into her adult life and she still has like two, two vagus, right? And, and the lady's talking to her and she's telling the story about her second vagina and she's, you know, like all the weird shit she had to deal with as a kid, right? You know, obviously, and like, you know, that's a hard thing to like cover up, you know, when you're, you know, like in showering with other girls at camps or whatever. And, and then she, but then like, uh, she just starts talking about it so casually, and the woman's like, yeah, well, I guess that was kind of rough for you, you know what I mean? She's like, well, I got to a point in my life where I just said to myself, you know, it's just another body part. And, you know, just think of it like a nose. And I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, first of all, a second nose is fucking super weird. Like, <laughs> like you know, you can't just be like, oh, a second nose, yeah, no big fucking deal. And like, uh, how about, no, I'm not gonna think of it like a second nose. I'm gonna think of it like a second fucking vagina, because that's what you have, and that's <laughs> fucking weird. You can't just be like, yeah, my second vagina, it's just like another, oh, it's like an extra fingernail on my fucking, <laughs> all right, well, we'll have to work on that one. <laughs> um, oh, there was, uh, I went to Outside Lands a couple weeks back, and there was a really awesome, funny moment there, where uh, I, I, don't, I don't really follow a lot of, you know, some of these new pop bands and, and some of these, new acts or whatever, I know who they are, but there was this guy performing there that my friend really wanted to see. His name was Sam Smith, right? 
He's like this, you know, British like crooner guy, right? And total sweet guy. And I like, I get it. He's like, you know, he's a good looking dude. He's, he's British, you know? So he's real polite and girls are just fucking squirting for this guy. As soon as he walks out on stage, they're just like, ah, like, and like I totally get it. He's an amazing singer and he's a good looking dude. And he's, you know, and, and then all of a sudden he goes into like story time during one of his songs and he starts talking about, he's like, yes, this next song is about uh, a man who broke my heart and fucking 40,000 vaginas just fucking, just fucking dried up quicker than you could ever imagine, dude. It was just like fucking, <laughs> went from like fucking rainforest to Sahara in like a second, dude. Like, I mean, there were literally women that were just like, they were like, did he just say he's in love with a man? <laughs> you want to go get some final cake? Yeah, let's go get some final cake. Come on. Got Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And then the best part was, though, there was one little gay guy next to me who, like, as soon as he started telling the story, he was just like, yeah! Like, he was shining, you know? He was like, fuck you, bitches! He's mine! Like, yeah, it was great for him. He's <laughs> very, very happy for that guy. Thank you for listening to me, guys. I thought you were going to spike it on me for my entrance. I love this man. Keep it, keep it going for Bodie Lane, ladies and gentlemen. What a good guy. What a sweetheart. Good job, Bodie. All right. Two vaginas. That's, that's scary. One vaginas. Right? Too much already. Yeah, two? I'm looking forward to your set right now, because he's up, ladies and gentlemen. Your next comic stage I have just met recently outside, but I'm sure he's very funny. Please, big round of applause for Mr. Rafi. Hello. My name is Rafi Sussman. Um, am I on the radio? What's the deal with the radio shit? On the radio? What station? Your mom wants to Fuck yeah, she'll love this set. <laughs> Pussy, dicks, balls, ass, tits. That was for you, Mom. I got a couple jokes um, for y'all. Uh, so the Folsom Street Fair is happening. <laughs> and uh, Folsom Street Fair is like this big like bondage fair, festival, whatever. And uh, it's kind of like a, renas a renaissance fair, but everyone is dressed like an executioner. All like the leather and the straps and shit. I thought that was kind of funny. That's almost a joke. It's almost there. What's your name, dude? Chris. Chris, you're cool as shit for staying for other comedians. That's rare. Chris, yeah. Round of applause for Chris. Learn some etiquette, people on the radio who are listening to this. I'm assuming I'm, assuming I'm talking to like 10,000 people now. This is my fucking HBO special. <laughs> All right, Renaissance Falls and Fair. Cross that shit off. Uh, NPR joke for, uh, for that guy in the back. I was listening to NPR, and there's a woman named Louisa Lim, and she's a really good reporter, but uh, she's got like the, the English accent that was adopted by Henry, the, like popularized by Henry VIII, because he has so much syphilis that his lips are all fucked up. So that's where this English accent comes from. Like where you make your R's W, and there's a woman named Louisa Lim, she's a really good reporter, but she makes her R's W. And I can't really take it seriously when she says there's a fucking crisis in Syria. <laughs> she sounds like, you know, like, like sexy Elmer Fudd or like sexy English Elmer female, sexy female English Elmer Fudd is what I call her when I'm masturbating to her voice. 
I don't masturbate to her voice. That's lame. I have a phone. I look at porn. Um, more jokes. I got a couple more jokes, and then I'm going to try and, like, fill these 10 minutes. Uh, we're going to try some new jokes. Uh, Volkswagen recently got in trouble because their diesel cars uh, have this software that tricks the EPA emissions computers to thinking that the Volkswagen so like diesel cars are environmentally acceptable. And it's like really fucked up because they're putting all these like pollutants into the air and shit. And that's gotta be like the worst thing Germany's ever done. <laughs> all right, fuck, I gotta work on, <laughs> work on the setup for that shit. Punchline's killer. Uh, I was arguing with my girlfriend and I'm like pretty politically correct. Like I live in Berkeley, I'm politically correct, which makes it hard to argue with your girlfriend because I had to be like, you fucking heteronormative, cisgendered, uh, able-bodied bitch. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's politically correct, right? Man, you're so excited for me. I'm fucking bombing right now. I'm so sorry. No, I'm not. I'm confident. I'm fucking running this shit, man. Um, I did get peed on once. We touched on that in the beginning. Thank you, Ethan. Um, plotting and getting peed on. Uh, but it wasn't like, uh, like, yeah, pee on me. I'm gonna be fucking into it. Uh, we got peed on by like a sleeping sleeping lady. That was kind of weird, cause like, I was like into cocaine like a year ago, and so I'd go over to my girlfriend's house and just like fuck her, and then she'd fall asleep, and then I would watch The Wire uh, while she was asleep, and uh, all of a sudden like, the bed got hella wet and it wasn't my fault, and I was like, that's crazy. What do I do? Do I wake her up or do I keep watching The Wire? Do I scoot over and just keep watching The Wire? So I scooted over and I kept watching The Wire. She slept in pee, and I didn't. True story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that uh, I'm going to rant for a bit, because I have uh, tons of time. This is my microphone. Uh, I think that men, uh, we need to listen to our dicks more. Women, you can listen to your vaginas too, but men, we need to listen to our dicks more. Uh, there's like this conflict that some people have, like, oh, you've heard like your little head and your big head, right? Like your big head's your brain, your little dick's, your little head's your dick. And I think you need to listen to your little head more. I think you need to listen to your dick because your dick, at the end of the day, in the long run, your dick really wants what's best for you. Like it's instincts, it's natural. Like that's, your dick is really you. Like you should 